Good morning, church family. Pastor Daniel got me thinking about ice cream now. You know what? It reminds me of, I was at this Church of God church. It's been about 26 years ago. I know that because it was like the summer that Jody and I got married. We were up in Muncie, Indiana, and this little kid got up and sang the song. I still remember it. I think it's because I could relate to it so much. But the song went like this. I won't sing it to you. Don't worry. I wouldn't do that to you. But he said, I love Jesus better than ice cream, and ice cream's mighty good. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, good morning, guys. All my dads that are here, happy Father's Day. Come on, ladies. Yeah. And we honor you fathers, and we need you. Come on, aren't y'all thankful for all of the father and father figures that we have in our lives? I can tell you this, the world needs more of them because it's running a low supply. The Apostle Paul said, we have countless teachers or instructors, but not many fathers. And so I just want to just take a moment to just thank every father who has given of themselves. So thank you. We honor you, we are grateful for you, and we love you. Amen? Well, hey, check this out. I get a double blessing today because, first of all, uh, I am the dad of three amazing daughters who I am extremely proud of, and I wear that badge with pride, but I also turn 47 today. And look, look, I know I look 37. I know I look 37, but it's true. I'm 47. I think I just keep telling myself that like all morning, like I'm 47, right? Like where in the world did the time go? And everyone keeps saying things to me like, oh, you're just a, a, a spring chicken. But everyone who knows what cap, simp, or sus means is saying, no, you're old. <laughs> Not everyone is going to get this, but watch this. If you think that Luke Combs wrote Fast Car, that means that you're young. If you know that Tracy Chapman wrote it, then you're wise and we can hang out. <laughs> it's okay if I have a little bit of fun on my birthday this morning. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I am so excited that today I get to preach the word because there's nothing I would rather be doing than preaching God's word to you. So let's dive in. Amen. Father, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds. And God, we just ask you, Lord, today, do your work, do your bidding in our lives. We thank you, precious Holy Spirit of God, that your presence is already here and felt in this place. So, Lord, today, transform us, renew us, Lord. Cause us to grow, Lord, into maturity. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your word that you sent, Lord God, to heal us, spirit, soul, and body. Let it go forth now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, for those of you that are just joining us, we have been on a nine-month journey on a series called All In, and we have been going through the book of Acts chapter by chapter, just diving in and just allowing the Holy Spirit just to, to have his way and, and to speak to us and through us. And last week, I mentioned this, we're, we're approaching the final lap and we're kind of heading toward home plate. And we only have a few chapters left, but 
these last few chapters I have found have some key life lessons that I believe that God wants us to learn. How many of you know that God's desire is that each and every one of us continue to grow? It's never God's will that we become stagnant or remain unchanged, but rather he wants us to progress in our faith, deepen in our relationship with him, and strive towards spiritual maturity. Like ultimately, God wants us to be more like Christ, to be a people of love and compassion, to be a people who are dedicated and devoted to his causes, to choose to practice forgiveness and reconciliation, to imitate humility and selflessness, to live a life of holiness and righteousness, to trust God at all costs, and to live by faith. And one of the things that I love about the book of Acts is that we see that in, in every one of these uh, people that we read about in the scripture, we see these virtues, these godly characteristics displayed in the early church. And as a result, they become a powerful testament to the transformative work of God in their lives. And as we've been reading over the past few weeks, none exemplifies this more so than the Apostle Paul. Paul's life shines the life of Christ in so many ways. In his humility, in his sacrifice, in service, in his faith, and and his boldness. How many of you know that you can be both humble and bold? Like those two are not mutually exclusive from one another. As a matter of fact, you know what? I have found that true humility will produce true boldness. Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous, it's the righteous that are as bold as a lion. How? Because this type of boldness doesn't come from arrogance or self-centeredness, but it's rooted in one's understanding of their role and their identity. It's a humble boldness that acknowledges our dependence upon God, yet fearlessly steps out in faith, knowing that he is with us. Like it was this type of boldness that David exemplified whenever he stepped up to fight Goliath. It's this type of boldness that Moses displayed whenever he went and confronted the Pharaoh. It was this type of boldness that Esther demonstrated as she went and approached the king. And it was this type of boldness that we see in the life of Paul as he stood time and time again before some of the greatest influential people of his day. And it's my hope and my prayer that you will see that with each one of those that I just mentioned, watch this, they didn't have any inherent advantage over us. Like the only thing that set them apart from others was their unwavering faith and trust in the God who would never leave them nor forsake them. They had a faith-filled dependence, believing that they served a God who worked miracles. And I just want you to know, God still works miracles. Don't ever believe the lie that the miracles of God have ceased. Listen, the lie of cessationism has become one of the greatest hindering factors of advancing the church's mission. 
Because what it's done is it has produced a people who have well-formulated arguments, but no power. They got the lampstand, but they got no oil. But watch this. The Bible tells us that we should expect this. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that in the last days, people are going to cling on to a form of godliness, but that they would deny its power. Well, what do you think that that's talking about? I'll tell you what it's talking about. It's talking about the working of the Holy Spirit of God. It's talking about cessationism. It's talking about denominations that have built a doctrine because they have to come up with some kind of excuse as to why they aren't seeing the power of God in their life and in their ministry. As a matter of fact, if I can just take a minute and give you a little bit of a history lesson, it's where you know all of this stuff right here where you know where it originated from. It came from a man named John Calvin. And John Calvin claimed that his church was the, quote-unquote, real church. But the Catholics, they, they had a problem with that. And they said, John, we don't think you all are the real church. They said, if you guys are the real church, then why aren't signs and wonders happening in your ministry? Why are we seeing miracles and healings happening? And so they had to give some kind of response. And the response that they came up with, and this is the truth. You can look this up. The response they came up with was cessationism. They built a doctrine declaring, well, God no longer works that way. But friends, I'm here to tell you that God is still a miracle-working God. Don't let anyone ever try to talk you in to the false doctrine that denies the power of God. Hey, one of God's names is Jehovah Rapha, which literally means the Lord who heals. Listen, God will never deny his name nor prove it to be untrue. God was a healer then, God's a healer now. God was a way maker then, he's still a way maker today. What's this? I'm telling you all this because you need to know that when you see all that these great men and women of the Bible, of God in the Bible, the things that they did, their acts, they were not confined just to them and them alone. You see, my Bible tells me that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. He says that he, our sons and our daughters, by the way, for, I'll keep my mouth closed there. No, I won't. For the Southern Baptist Convention that needs to hear this truth, women have a place to speak the word of God. And it's not to be just stuck with the babies in the back. My ladies need to be shouting right now instead of patty caking and giving me a golf clap. Come on now. God's called you women. And don't ever let a man tell you that you can't do something that he's done. There is neither Greek nor Jew. Right? Come on. Male nor female, slave nor free, but all are one in Christ. Good. I'm glad I got some amens there. Y'all going to worry me if I didn't. <laughs> it says our sons and daughters are prophesied. He says that God will speak to us in visions and in dreams. Jesus tells us. Jesus. So you better take his words if you don't believe this preacher. In Matthew 10, 8. He said that we're to go out and we're to heal the sick, to raise the dead, 
to cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. But watch this. It's going to require some Holy Ghost boldness if that's going to take place. I heard someone say, well, I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. I said, well, have you ever laid your hands on someone that was dead? Well, I'm just saying. You know what I mean? And you know what else it's going to do? It's going to require us stepping outside of the four walls of the church for it to take place. You know what? I've read the Bible many times, and so I went and did a little bit of proof texting here just to make sure that I, what I'm saying is accurate. But did you know that of the thousands of miracles that we read about in the Scripture, only two of them took place in a synagogue? Most of the time, it was either in public spaces, in homes, or while people were traveling. See, that tells me that there's a high likelihood that the miracles that we're wanting to see, they're going to probably take place outside of our Sunday morning gatherings. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know that God will move here in our midst. Are you with me? There were some miracles that took place in the synagogues. But the vast majority of them took place outside of the four walls of the church. Why not see someone get healed at the grocery store? Do people that go and buy groceries need healed? Sure they do. So then why not ask to pray for them? Why not see someone come to know Christ in your workplace? Well, if I start talking about Jesus, and if you dare say, well, if I start talking about religion, you ain't talking about religion, you're talking about Jesus. And if your boss says you can't talk about religion, say, oh, that's fine, I don't like religion, I'm talking about Jesus. Let them look at you like a cow staring at a new gate. Right? So if I talk about Jesus, I might lose my job. Well, guess what? That person might lose their soul. Which one's worse? Look, if you're going to lose your job for sharing Christ, don't you think that God knows that and he's going to cover you? Friends, the fields are ripe for the harvest. Friday night, I had the amazing ability to be able to sit with a group of world shakers. And we talked about this very thing. I said, man, I'm preaching on this Sunday. They said it. And these guys, one of them was in his 90s, the other's in his 80s, and the other was maybe in his 60s. And they all said, in our lifetime, what I'm seeing right now, they said, we are seeing the harvest. And then they looked at me and they said, pastor, preach the gospel. Man, I'm like, ah, I'm going to. <laughs> Listen, the harvest is ripe. And watch this. God has commissioned each and every one of us to bring in the harvest. Do you know where the harvest field is? It's out there. It's out there. Thank God. Someone didn't wait until I went to church to hear the gospel. Because I probably would have never went to church. But watch this, I didn't have to because the church came to me. How many of you would say that you gave your life to Christ and it wasn't in a church building, it was somewhere outside of church? Would you raise your hand, keep it up really high? Yeah, that's what I thought. Watch this. Friends, we are called to go into the highways and the byways. We are called to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to all creation. Amen? Well, today we're going to continue with reading about the life of the Apostle Paul. 
And Paul is really modeling the very thing that I'm talking to you about here because Paul is sharing Christ with anyone and everyone that he encounters. And I love that with each passing chapter, we see God continue to open more and more doors for him to share Christ with these influential leaders. We're in Acts chapter 24, and now Paul is before Felix, the governor. And two things take place. The first thing is that the Jews come and they lay out their case against Paul. They start with these words of flattery towards Felix. But then they quickly move toward sharing their hatred and their disdain for Paul. And they make accusations that simply weren't true. But then Paul was permitted to speak. And as I mentioned earlier, Paul was humble, but Paul was also bold. He addressed Felix with respect, and then he laid out his side of the story. Now, one thing stood out to me that I felt led to uh, examine. When Paul shared his side of the story, he didn't once take liberty and embellish the things that happened. Contrary to those who were coming against him, he told the truth and the whole truth. Let me ask you something. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where it's easy to add or take away from the truth about what happened in order to make yourself look better? Come on, raise your hand. Look, I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand, I, I, and not because there's actually people here who know me. Um, <laughs> but, you see, I've found that when we do that, we, we not only compromise our integrity, but we hinder our potential for genuine growth and transformation. Because when we face the truth head on, it's then that we're be, are able to deal with the underlying issues of our heart. But when we present a false narrative that distorts reality, then we go unchanged. And we find ourselves having to go around and around that mountain again. Or as my pastor would say, you end up facing that Pharaoh again in your life. Friends, I'm talking about having the courage to acknowledge our weaknesses and shortcomings and to embrace authenticity and vulnerability. Because when we refuse to manipulate the truth, but determine to commit to transparency and truthfulness, it paves the way for healing. I pray to God that you guys are catching this point right here. This is a key to finding freedom in your lives. James 5.16 says it this way, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But you can't confess a manipulated version of the truth. There are some of you that are listening to this, but you still haven't found freedom from pornography. And the reason why is because you've been giving an edited version of what's really happening in your life. Look, freedom comes from a life of honesty and humility that trusts that God will work for you as you walk in truth. And I know that those conversations, they're not easy to have, but how long are you going to remain in bondage? How long will you allow fear and pride to keep you from being free? 
And of course, we're not just talking about pornography here. I know that only applies to some. But anything that has a stronghold over your lives. Like it could be cutting corners at work. And you need to go and have a conversation with your boss and make it right. It could be giving God his tithe and offering. You've convinced yourself that you can't give because then you wouldn't be able to pay for your high-speed internet or go out and eat several times a week or buy your $5 cup of coffee or talk on your $500 phone. But watch this. If you only knew that if you would seek first the kingdom of God, that he would see to it. That's why God said, test me in this. You think I'm lying? Go ahead and test me on this. But if we would seek him first, like Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, you're going to have everything that you will ever need. Now, if you're following along with the, the storyline here in Acts chapter 24, you might be wondering, well, what's this have to do with Paul speaking to Felix? Well, Paul's life in this context right here, is modeling what it means to speak truthfully. And as a result, Felix treated him with fairness. Verse 23 says that he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Felix didn't treat Paul harshly, but instead he extended him some freedoms. And this isn't an interesting point right here to consider because Paul didn't have any political clout. He didn't have any connections or strings to pull. So he did what he knew to do, speak the truth. And as a result, we see the tangible manifestation of God's approval of the truthfulness of Paul's testimony. One of the things that I've loved about teaching this series chapter by chapter is that as I've come upon each portion of Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit that highlights what we're going to talk about. People will say, hey, what are we going to talk about next week, Pastor? And I know because I'm like, well, it's going to be Acts chapter 25. And they're like, yeah, but from what angle? And honestly, I, didn't, I never know what angle it's from because I just read the Scripture and I say, Lord, let your word do the, the talking. Don't let me try to make your word sort of fit into my agenda and, and my three points in a poem. But, Lord, you just direct this. And so as I was um, going through Acts chapter 24, the Holy Spirit, he highlighted the lesson that was to be taught here. And the lesson for today is clear. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Let me just share a few scriptures on that very thought, if I can. Proverbs 12, verse 22 says, lying lips. I, I, know, I love what my mom used to say, that a half-truth is still a whole lie. Let me say that again. A half-truth is still a whole lie. Whenever you come in with an augment, and when you come in with an edited version of what is true, then it's not true. Did you hear me? I, I said then it's not true. Proverbs 12, verse 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. I'm sure that all of you have heard the word abomination, and you probably have a pretty good understanding of what it means. But I want to share a definition that you may have never heard. The word abomination, it means a lot of different things. But one of the things that it means is unnatural. 
That's one of the definitions, just one word, unnatural. So when the Bible says that something is an abomination, it's saying that it is unnatural. Are you catching this? You see, a natural thing is something that God created to function in a certain way. And when that thing does not function in the way in which it is created, that's an abomination. And the reason that this is such a big deal is because it goes against how the creator meant for that thing to function. Now, this is true in a lot of things. Not just lying. Like, for example, idolatry is an abomination. Anytime we elevate something above God and we give it our worship, we do what's unnatural. Because we were made to worship God and Him alone. Oppression and injustice are both an abomination to God. Watch this. God is against corrupt business practices, cheating, dishonesty, and like the scripture says, false weights. Justice is what is natural to God. Sexual immorality is an abomination. Oh, you was wondering if I was going to get around to that one, huh? You know, I know that America's been going through this sort of sexual revolution, but you need to know that just because something is permitted in the eyes of the government doesn't mean that it's permissible in the eyes of God. And so I'm going to speak some truth to you this morning and just say God's ways are not our ways. And here's the thing that you need to know about uh, God and, and, and you need to understand about his ways. Like, you may not like God's ways. You may not uh, understand God's ways, but you had better surrender to his ways. Because if you don't, I can promise you that you will find yourself constantly fighting against God. And friend, that is a battle that you cannot win. Not only that, if you only knew, if you only knew that his ways are so much higher and better than your ways. Again, you may not understand it, but if you will trust that he is God and you're not, you'll find that his way is best. Now let's get back to Paul. Paul speaks the truth about his situation, and then God opens the door for Paul to speak the truth about the gospel. So he comes in, he speaks the truth about what's happening in his life, but now he sort of shifts to speaking about the truth of Jesus. Verse 24 says, After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith, in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 says, And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Now I want us to just examine this text here for just a minute. Here again, we have God opening the door for God to speak to these great influential leaders, this, this, this couple right here, and God tells them the perspective 
from which uh, to give this message to Paul to Felix. It says that he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And those would have been all key aspects of the gospel that would have been highly relevant to Felix's situation as a Roman governor. I mean, as a Roman governor, Felix had significant power and authority over people. And the concept of righteousness, that challenged him. It challenged him to evaluate his own actions and exercise his authority in a just and in a righteous manner. And it certainly emphasized the need for all people to align their lives with God's moral standards, regardless of their position, and to pursue justice, integrity, and ethical behavior. And I think this is a good point for us to consider because no matter whether you're the president, a pastor, or a plumber, God's standards applies to everyone. What I mean is we can't just say, well, I'm not this great leader, so it, it really doesn't uh, uh, apply to me. And, and if I can just say this just for a minute, okay, because I'm going to get the back of, of some of my fellow colleague pastors. Every time a pastor messes up, because let me tell you something, look at me, I'm going to make a mistake in some form or fashion. You watch someone cut me off in 295, and then all of a sudden, oh, don't be acting like you're all holy and you don't ever do it. I've been behind some of y'all. I, saw, I was behind one of y'all this morning driving to, to, to church. That's the gospel truth. That right, Daddy? <laughs> I knew that would fit in somewhere. Better be careful, right? But it applies to all of us. And understand this about my pastor. Look, we're all human. We all need grace. And watch this. I, I remember growing up being told by my, my mom and dad, you know, you point one finger at someone, you got three more pointing back at you. You know what I'm saying? And so if you see someone make a mistake, look at me. Extend the same grace that you want to receive. If you want to judge them, that's fine. No problem. Judgment's going to come back to you. Now, that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. In the same judgment that you use, the same measuring rod that you use to measure other, you better be ready because that's going to be the same measuring stick that's going to be used to measure you. And so we need to show some grace. We need to show grace, and we, even, we need to do it with our politicians as well. I know we got to hold them to a high standard, but they're not pastors. Are you hearing me? They're men and women, right? And if you don't like the job they're doing, then vote. Throw that out there. Where'd that come from? <laughs> Here's the thing. The standard of righteousness, it applies to everyone, no matter their position. Because both small and great are both accountable to God for their choices and their actions. And that's why it's so important for us to embrace that call to righteousness and live in accordance with God's standards. Because our actions matter. And they have profound eternal significance. Then the Bible says that Paul talked about self-control. Self-control means that we're to exercise restraint over our desires, our impulses, and our actions. Felix's position would have certainly made him susceptible to abuse of power, corruption, or indulgences in personal pleasures. But now watch this. You don't have to become 
a politician to fight the battle of self-control. All you have to do is have a pulse, right? Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Praise God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I love this verse because it says that the grace of God teaches us to say no. But the reason that it teaches us to say no is because there is a much better yes that we are to give ourselves to. Church, don't ever sell yourselves short by giving into a fleeting moment of passion or a passing desire. But practice self-control in order that you would receive the greater blessing. If I can just say it this way, Esau, don't sell your birthright for a bowl of stew, right? Hey, watch this. A lack of self-control will cause you to leave yourself vulnerable and defenseless. Now, if you're wondering why in the world are so many attacks coming at me, well, it's probably one of two reasons. One is because you are doing something right. No one on the sideline ever gets tackled but those that are advancing. That's one reason, and that's some encouragement for a few of you that need to hear that right now because you are advancing, and the enemy is coming against you, and it feels like all hell is coming against you, but I just need you to know all heaven is fighting for you, and I know that right now it feels like it's just raining and pouring, but watch this. A new day is coming. That's a word for someone, and resistance is always the greatest right before the breakthrough. But then there are others of us who we've allowed ourselves We've taken our armor off, right? We've exposed ourselves. We've not done the things that are necessary. You know what it reminds me of? It's Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Again, it's like taking off your spiritual armor and opening the door to spiritual attacks. See, what we need to be doing is fortifying ourselves with discipline, determination, and diligence. Because I can promise you that your adversary, the devil, is just hoping that you will succumb to moments of weakness and relinquish your self-control. Because then he can accomplish his purpose, which, by the way, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me just leave you with this last thought about self-control. Self-control is the mark of true strength and the pathway to real freedom. It's the power to choose what is right over what is easy, what is noble over what is selfish. In practicing it, we align ourselves with God's will and experience the abundant life that he has designed for us. And so the next time a temptation comes your way, And I can assure you that it will come your way because the devil will see to it. We have got to remind ourselves that God has told us what we need to do to be diligent, to make sure that we are keeping the breastplate of righteousness on, keeping on the belt of truth, holding on to the sword of the spirit, putting on the helmet of salvation, right? Making sure that we are are keeping up the shield of faith. 
making sure that we are, are putting on and, 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 and preparing our feet so that they're shed abroad, you know, with the gospel of peace. we got to make sure that we are ready, church. There is never a time when the devil takes a vacation. So that means you or I can't either. Look, I'm about to take a couple of days this week, and I'm going to take Jody to see Amy Grant. Y'all remember Amy Grant? I'm going to bless her and take her to see that. And uh, we're going to do that for a couple days. And um, you know what? Even though we're on vacation or we're getting away, we can't take a vacation from our walk. Are, are you hearing me? Because I think that so many times we, we kind of put our faith walk into certain boxes. We've got our church box, and certainly we're going to be on our best behavior on a church box. And, you know, we'll try to maybe even do it, you know, on Wednesday or maybe on Thursday. But on Friday, hey, just saying. Mm. All right, let's go back to, to, to Paul in this conversation with Felix. The third and the last thing that Paul mentions to Felix is the coming judgment. Now, this is the part where it says that Felix got alarmed, and he sent Paul away. Then the Bible says that Felix had hoped that Paul would have given him money. Now, of course he would, because he's a politician, and that's what he would have been used to doing, right? Imagine that. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. <laughs> now, I want you to catch this. Ready? Catch this. Felix had wished for one thing, but he was given another. Felix was given one thing, but, or wished for one thing, but he was given another. And I can't help that whenever I read this to reflect back to Acts chapter 3, where you had a lame beggar who was sitting at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, hoping that Peter and John would give him money, but they gave him something else. This exchange both with the lame beggar and with Felix, it causes me to wonder, how many times have I pressed in for something, only the something that I pressed in for was never what God had purposed? Like, what relationships did I try and fight for, but God was trying to free me from? Now, if you're married, that word is not for you, Okay. <laughs> but it might be for some of you who are dating. You're dating someone who looks nothing like the virtues that we're talking about this morning. But somehow you think that things are just going to work themselves out. Well, hey, maybe, just maybe, God has something better in mind than what you've settled for. Are you hearing me? Do I need to say it a little louder so my single people can hear it? This not only applies to relationships, but watch this. What callings have I pursued? But maybe that season of my life is over. Or it's still yet to come. It's just not time yet. Point of practical application. I used to be a worship leader many, many moons ago. <laughs> and uh, I loved that season of getting to do that. Many of you don't know this about me, but I've played piano since I was six years old. And I've played guitar and trumpet since I was 12. But watch this. You're not going to see me up in the band. You know why? My season is over. But now my youngest daughter, she's going to probably shoot me for bringing up her name, but I think one day is probably going to be a worship leader. 
Her time is still yet to come. Are y'all following me? Are you hearing what I'm saying here? I'm talking about pressing in for something. But God may have something different in mind. But before I move on, I'm going to throw out one more point of practical application. Sometimes the thing that we're supposed to do is the thing that we're currently doing. And God is asking you to stay at your post and quit working so hard at moving to the next thing. And watch this. I added this part right here in my message last night because I was praying over my message as I do every Saturday night. And the Holy Spirit prompted me and said, there's some people in the room that need to hear this. Because it wasn't initially in my notes. And that is this. I found that people often have a proclivity to leave things unfinished. And we actually kind of see this here in just a minute with Felix. Um, but I want you to, to consider Felix's case. Like if Felix would have only realized that the thing that Paul was giving him was a far greater value than all the money in the world. Because Paul was giving him the gospel. He was giving him something of eternal value. He was giving him Jesus. And we know that when the Bible says that Felix was alarmed, what that was is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was God drawing himself, drawing Felix closer to himself. It was, giving him the, it was him giving him the opportunity to surrender his life to Christ. Only Felix sends Paul's, Paul, Paul away and he says, go away for now. And when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Several other translations say, go away for now. And when I find a convenient time. Hello. Oh, when I got time. Mm. He left business unfinished. You know, when I was reading this verse, my eyes kept being pulled toward the first four words in that scripture. It says, go away for now. Felix believed the lie that many people believe. The lie that says, I'll get right with God one day. I'll make sure that I reconcile with God one day. But not today. Not now. Felix tells Paul, go away for now. But you see, here's the problem. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. It says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Paul just finishes telling Felix that one day there would be a judgment. A judgment that all mankind would face. And Paul is telling Felix what is necessary in order to escape that judgment. And I'm all but certain I know what Paul was saying to him. It's not recorded, but I can tell you he would have said probably the exact same thing that he said to the uh, Philippian jailer in Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, here's where I want to bring today's message to an end and ask this question. Are you going to be like the Philippian jailer who put his faith in Christ? Consequently, today, he's 
in heaven? Or are you going to be like Felix and say, Pastor, just go away for right now. See, sadly, there are no mentions all throughout history of Felix ever surrendering his life to Christ. And friends, I just have to tell you the truth. The truth that Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 6. He says, I am the way. I am. Well, what is it you need of God? He is Yahweh. Yahweh, Asher, Yahweh. I am that that I am. You need peace in your life? I am that. You need strength in your life? I am that. You need lifted up out of the mighty pit? You need a strong arm to save? You need a deliverer? I am that. I am that I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he says this. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now watch this. I am very well aware of my audience and who I'm speaking to right now. And I know that the majority of you in this room have placed your faith in Christ. But right now, here at the close of this message, I'm directing my words to those of you who you have yet to do so. Or maybe at one point in your life you walked with God, but today you're far from him. Friend, today is the day of salvation. Today, reconciliation with God is possible. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me, if you would. And to that same audience that I'm speaking to, who whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I want to quote a very familiar passage of Scripture that I'm sure that you have heard before that Tim Tebow used to put on his eyes John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life friend I need you to know two things one is when we breathe our last breath it's not over It's not over. We will spend eternity in one or two places, and the Bible describes it. It's a place called hell or heaven. And the only way that we get to spend eternity in heaven is if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see, your good deeds cannot get you into heaven. Good people don't make it into heaven. Forgiven people make it into heaven because the Bible says that our righteousness, in other words, our very best efforts can't get us into heaven. And that's the reason that God had to send his son to come and to die and to pay a sin debt that you owe and that I I owe because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his love towards us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friend, I need you to know that if you were the only person that he ever created, he would have came and just died for you. And he did die for you to pay your sin debt so that you could have the promise of heaven. But I want you to know a second thing too. The peace that you're looking for in this world cannot be found in the world. Oh, you think, well, I'm doing just fine, pastor. You know what you've grabbed a hold of? You've grabbed a hold of a counterfeit. I used to 
be in banking while I was in Bible college, and, and they taught us about what counterfeit bills, you know, w- would look like. And here's the thing. A good counterfeit sometimes, it, it would make it through 10, 20, or 50 stores until it landed in the hands of a person who really knew what was true. So you might be able to get away with sleeping around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or having an affair or looking at pornography or doing all the things that goes against God's moral standard. And you think, you know, I'm fine. I cheated on my taxes. IRS didn't audit me. It's all good. Beloved, understand that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Here's the good news. The good news is that whatever has been written against you, it can be wiped clean today. Your slate can be wiped clean. The Bible says it this way. It says, though your sin is as scarlet, I will wash them white as snow. And then we have the promise not only of heaven, but then the promise of El Shaddai. We have the promise of having God with us, walking with us, strengthening us, empowering us, giving a peace that you can't buy on Amazon Prime, giving you a joy that Target can't sell. I don't like Target anyway. Hello? Here's what we need. We need a Savior. Thank God there was one who came, and he's alive, and he's on the throne this morning. And all you got to do is put your faith in him and surrender to him, recognizing that you were born a sinner just like each and every one of us. And you call out to him and say, God, I want to live my life for you. I want to be a Christian, not a fake one, not a, a, you know, this, what we see religious. No, God, I want to know you. Like, I really want to know you. And I surrender my life to you. And I believe that you are who you say you are. And I want to start walking with you. And I want people to see your love and your light in my life. And if that's you, and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus right now. I want you to put your hand up right now. Put it up and don't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else? Praise God. I know there are several people here. Who else? And we're going to pray. And right where you're at, we're going to pray and we're going to confess Jesus as Lord right now. Anyone else that's going to join in with us? Those of you that are online, you come in. There's a lot of people here that's raising their hand. You join in and pray with us right now. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to all confess Jesus as Lord together right now. And saints of God, join in with me as we pray this prayer. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raises him from the dead, that we will be saved, that we will get the promise of heaven, that our citizenship will then be in heaven. Praise God. So let's tend to that business right now. And let's make that vow before the Lord. Pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart. Those of you that raised your hand and those of you that are watching online that says, I need Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. Pray this out loud with me. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. And now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God one more time?